animation. Woodrad Podcast Network is a proud affiliate of AnimationLegends.com. Use our promo code RINGS to save at checkout. We're talking actual, authentic animation production artwork, one-of-a-kind things you're not going to find anywhere else. Authentic animation cells, background paintings, and production artwork from some of the most legendary, iconic Saturday morning cartoons and animated features. We're talking The Brave Little Toaster. We're talking Little Nemo in Slumberland, The Ultimate Spider-Man, X-Man, Ewoks, He-Man, G.I. Joe, and many more. Go to AnimationLegends.com and get real, authentic, one-of-a-kind artwork that you can adorn your walls with and save at checkout with our promo code RING. That's R-I-N-G-S, rings at checkout, animationlegends.com. The future of gaming is portable, so let's talk about the games in our hands, the games in our pockets. Let's talk about the future today. It's Handy Pocket. Also known as John's alternative title. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was it. Yep. <laughs> great, great. Uh, what a uh, great alternative title for our Mario Mania month. Let's go. Yeah. This is episode number. First of all, I'm not giving you any crap. So late dead. <laughs> I'm your host Kyle von Kubik, and I'm joined along with Johnny Capcom. Hey, John. Mm-hmm. Guess what's in our pockets? Well, same thing that's been there since 1989. That's right. It is the Game Boy. Uh, and what is in our Game Boy? Of course, if you have the ability to read, you already know. We're talking Super Mario Land. Yep. Now, is this the, is this one that you had back in the day when you had a Game Boy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm shocked to see. I I, I put out like a request for our club members over on our our Patreon. Uh, You can visit that by going to oneradclub.com, all one word. Uh, Some people haven't played this yet. Well, I remember when this came out because I told you before, I used to Mm -hmm. rent an entire Game Boy. Oh, yes, yes. You felt very cool with your, your suitcase. Oh, man, it was the coolest I've ever felt. Okay. Yeah. And um, they'd give you this with it. They give you Tetris and Super Mario Land if you're into that. So, what more did you need? This is exactly it. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is probably the first Game Boy game I played. Right. And um, I could sit down and play it again today and still be happy with it. So, it's not my favorite Game Boy game, but mm-hmm. it was the first Game Boy game that really showed you what the Game Boy could be. Because otherwise, like, you know, it'd be just fucking stupid cat box pushing games and whatever. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> you know? This but, isn't uh, a uh, Sokoban hate fest. But what I'm saying is, is this set the tone, I felt, right? In that it was like, this isn't a game and watch. This isn't a Tiger Electronics handheld. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is a real video game system. Because this is a sure. real Mario game. Yes. I'm sure there are differences. You know, yep. Mario's a fascist in this one. We all know that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, maybe, maybe the second one he is. But um, it was a real game. You know, I can't think of yes. anything other than saying that it was a real, real, real game. 
and you have to you have to judge it against what was what else was available at the time and also what came out with it which we're going to do sadly uh, i'm seeing that this game is becoming the new super mario brothers 2 usa where people are like it sucked let me tell you something i I was there nobody thought that game sucked back then no there was in the uk there was a hit single for some bomb dj who remixed the main level one theme you know yeah it, it became a radio hit people loved this game this was it wasn't like the system seller the same way Tetris was because Tetris had right. a universal appeal because anybody could figure Tetris out. Right. Yeah, you know, but like everybody I knew played Super Mario Land and everybody liked it. I never heard anybody complaining about it. You, right. Uh, you know, it's this sort of looking back. It, it would be the, the equivalent of looking back at Adventure on the Atari 2600 and going, but you're just a box. <laughs> Everything was a fucking box back then. What are you? What are we talking about? You know, it's like you can't judge it against the games that came after it, or even against what's out today. Like that's that's stupid. I saw and it floated around, and most people were bagging on this uh, this writer. But there was an article floating around online that everybody was talking about and retweeting and whatnot, where the person, because the Switch at the time had just released the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games onto the Switch. What is that called? Nintendo Plus or whatever it is where you you have the subscription so now you can play a handful of these uh, Game Boy and GBA games. And this person basically wrote off, like, there's nothing worth playing on the Game Boy, but the GBA has some real gems. It's like, you have no business talking about games. And I know, like, we all have opinions and things, but just to say such a blanket statement, there's nothing on the Game Boy worth playing, but the GBA has some gems but these are the type of people who would be like oh i signed up for a streaming service and you know it only had citizen kane i wanted to watch ant-man too right Right. like get fucked (laughs) (laughs) exactly i guess i guess that is what i'm getting at uh boiled down to a simple phrase which is yes get fucked (laughs) but i look at i'm fine with people not enjoying things of a certain vintage if they didn't grow up with them okay oh yeah sure Sure. I can't say that I have a great affection for, say, early PC games because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't there. But I acknowledge that they have value to other people. Right. You know, and they certainly, um, you know, and again, just because you were born, you know, without a 19 in your birthday, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that these games have don't have value. And uh, the, if anything, I think a lot of the Game Boy games, because of their limitations, hold up better than a lot of the games that were trying too hard to reinvent the wheel. Right. Like, when you look at Crash Bandicoot, for instance, like, I think this game holds up better than Crash. Sure. Because sure. it's it's not trying to push the medium forward, uh, literally the way Crash was, as Crash was running into the screen uh, towards you. And not to say I think the Crash games are bad. I like the Crash games a lot. But I don't know. There's a certain refined quality to these things. Yeah, and you know what? I might be guilty of of trying to be funny and expressing opinion in the past with different podcasts that I've been on. But I I would bag on European-style platformers or particularly the ZX Spectrum. I, I didn't grow up with that. 
but I, I don't, th- I don't think I've ever said, and I, if I have, I'm glad I've, I've grown up a little bit. But I don't think I ever said there's nothing on the ZX Spectrum worth playing. That'd be fucking idiotic, you know. Like that's not, you know, it just. I didn't grow up with it. I don't particularly like the way it looks. But for me to like just make a blanket statement, there is nothing on this hugely successful platform that is worth playing. That's just a stupid statement. The thing of it, like, I understand though as well. Why somebody would look at the ZX Spectrum and go, right, well, I'm never playing any of these games. Yeah. Because, like, for me, a lot of people love the Atari, the 2600. Mm-hmm. And there's some games on the 2600 I do really love. Yeah. But there's a lot of them that I'm like, going, I'm never going to fucking play this. Like, this abstract game from the 70s. You know, sorry, you beat them and eat them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just going back to our review of uh, our, our discussion about Circle of the Moon, where you you said like y- you missed Super Metroid, and you mm-hmm. had played games that it that it informed, right? Like uh, Symphony of the Night. Yeah. And then you went back and tried to play Super Metroid, and it was difficult, and it wasn't the experience you were hoping for because you had played the games that had come out after. But you didn't say Super Metroid is not worth playing. Or it's a bad game. It just was, it you know, it was a bit of a, a step backwards and it wasn't the experience you would, were hoping for. I think that's probably what happens with some of these contemporary YouTubers where they're playing Super Mario Land and they're like, well, this isn't Super Mario Land 3 or Super Mario Brothers 3. No, it's not. It wasn't back then. They were just trying to have Mario in your pocket. Mario Super Mario Brothers in your pocket and, you know, cut into the chase, as you can already hear in my voice, I feel they succeeded in that sort of mission where, you know, the the Atari was built to play combat. ColecoVision and the Nintendo Entertainment System were built to play as close to an arcade perfect version of Donkey Kong as you could play at the time. Right, the, the Sega Genesis or the Mega Drive, they it was built to play Outrun and Space Harrier. It was it was built to play these specific games, and then we built off of that. This is the general foundation of this console, which is they there was no Tetris yet. They had very few. They had Mahjong, baseball, and they needed a Mario <laughs> game. And <laughs> while you know, what I mean? like they didn't have much. I think they had uh, uh, not Arkanoid, uh, uh, Alleyway. So, like, Mm. you only had five games to choose from. You needed a Mario game. And while Tetris shot the Game Boy into the stratosphere and became one of the best-selling games of all time, I think it was only unseated by, like, Minecraft and maybe one other, like, I don't know, Call of Duty or something like this. But, like, for the longest time, Tetris was the greatest-selling game of all time and really helped the Game Boy. But if it didn't exist, if that perfect game didn't exist... The uh, Super Mario Land would have got the Game Boy there. It would have been a very successful platform because, like, prior to this, most people, nobody had a Lynx that I knew about. So most people's experiences were the LCD uh, handheld games. This was a thing that took cartridges. It felt like a legitimate portable console, and it was a huge smash success. And everybody that I knew that had a Game Boy had Super Mario Land and loved it as time progressed and as developers learn how to pretty much pull off magic on the Game Boy because Game Boy was a dinosaur when it came out then we got better games like 
your kid Dracula, like a game we're going to discuss in another episode, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, uh, uh, Link's Awakening. Then you got better experiences. But like, yeah, this is the early, 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 the the first run of games that came out. And to uh, just simply dismiss it, it's idiotic. Uh, you just sparked a memory in my head that I haven't uh, uh, thought about in a long time, probably since it happened. Yeah, what's that? But uh, Tetris. Um, mm-hmm. Was the first game I ever saw a couple playing. Oh. When I was a teenager, or not teenager, I was a young child, well before I was a teenager. Um, I was in an arcade and I saw a couple, like, um, in the early 90s, I guess, playing an arcade version of Tetris, uh, Tetris together. Mm-hmm. At the time, I'm, I did, my thought was probably, look at this fucking loser. I'm going to go play Neo Geo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but now I can re- look back and go, oh, yeah, that's. That's the appeal of Tetris, you know. You could yeah. bring your significant other to a uh, a game arcade, and they could get in on Tetris. They mightn't have been right. able to get in on Lucky and Wild. Sure, know? sure. Or, that um, that game was lightning in a bottle. The, the, you uh, know, that, Tetris. Tetris, yeah, Tetris. Yeah. yeah, this was more of a through line. Super Mario Land was more of a through line of what you'd expect from your handheld Nintendo console. Uh, and clearly, like, as they were developing this game, you know, Hank Rogers was over in the Soviet Union trying to, you know, extract Tetris. The Martians are coming! Yes, and Mario is your only hope. Team up with him in Super Mario Land. Guide him on the Nintendo Game Boy. Challenge the mysteries and terrors of ancient Egypt. Battle all the horrors of the deep. Master lots of weird worlds to give Mario a happy ending and make your world a better place. Super Mario Land and other exciting games for Game Boy. Nintendo, now you're playing with power. Portable power. Anyway, we are talking about Super Mario Land 1. We will be talking about Super Mario Land 2, but here's the deal about Super Mario 2. Uh, Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins. That is going to come out for our club members. And it is a part of our Mario Mania Month. But you're not going to get to listen to it during Mario Mania Month if you're not a club member. It will come out on the free feed later on. But if you want to hear it now... That's one way to do that. Go to oneradclub.com or click the show notes. Uh, we got links there. And you can listen to it now. Listen to all of our podcasts much, much earlier. Um, John and I are recording this in November of 2022. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. But we, I'm telling you, we, we record these things months in advance of the free feed. And uh, that's the best way to experience our show for as little as a dollar a month. There's all sorts of other things uh, you can get to. So check it out. Let's talk about Super Mario Land 1. It was released in Japan, North America in 1989, and then it hit Europe and Australia in 1990. It was developed by R&D1. The director for the game was Satoru Okada, and of course, producer, one of my uh, favorite just game maker guys associated with video game history, Gunpo Yokoi, was the producer. Gunpo Yokoi, of course, uh, gave us the Game & Watch games, as well as the Game Boy itself. It was published by Nintendo, of course, and it falls into the platforming genre. Some historical notes about the game. It, of course, launched alongside the Game Boy. Hiroshi Yamauchi, which is the scariest Japanese man I've ever seen in my life, tasked Game Boy creator Gunpo Yokoi and Nintendo R&D 1 to develop a Mario game uh, to push this new console, the Game Boy. Uh, It's the first Mario game without any involvement from Shigeru Miyamoto, and I think it benefits from that. Not to say it's not cast in a shadow on Shigeru Miyamoto, but I do like 
the different weird choices they make in this game, and that's something that we would see in future Game Boy titles that would be associated with this franchise. Of course, Super Mario Land is the uh, introduction of Princess Daisy, who I guess was put on the shelf for a while. I don't think we saw her again until the 64 with the tennis game. Yeah, she's a supporting character in a lot of those, like, Mario Sports, Mario Kart. Isn't she, like, in a princess team on Double Dash? Oh, uh, she is in Double Dash. Yeah, I guess it, if I don't, I don't I haven't played Double Dash in ages, but boy, did I love it back in the early 2000s. We have parties playing that because it was like, hey, you ain't good. And then you go in the back and throw the shells. I'll drive, you know, yeah. that sort of situation. I think that was one where you could link a bunch of uh, GameCubes together, too, to get really wild. If I'm, uh, whatever, I'm getting I'm getting uh, sidetracked here. But yeah, she would the Princess Daisy would appear in the the carts, the parties, and the, t- the golfs and tennises and things like this. Um, Super Mario Land would see two proper sequels, that being Super Mario Land Two: Six Golden Coins, which was released in 1992, and Wario Land, uh, which was you know it was Super Mario Land Three: Colon Wario Land, which was released in 1994, where you played. <laughs> where uh, both those titles, both the sequels, would feature the uh, Wario. That would be the debut of that character. Uh, and again, we'll talk more about that on the next episode. Super Mario Land would go on to sell more than 18 million copies worldwide, outselling Super Mario Brothers 2 and Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, in 2019, a Twitter user by the name of Chrono Mogul released Super Mario Land, a uh, new Super Mario Land, which was a homebrew version of this game, but it was for the Super Nintendo, or at least the Super Nintendo emulators. It's a remake, of course, of Super Mario Land that has the same sort of art direction similar to su- the new Super Mario Brothers games, which you would see on the DS. New Super Mario Bros. was released in 2006. Uh, it's a new arrangement, too, of the Super Mario Land music, or the soundtrack from the Game Boy game. And this homebrew title would feature four-player simultaneous mode. Gross. I I tell you, I I got the Switch uh, for my son this past Christmas, and I'm trying to play New Super Mario Bros. U with him. I hate the four-player simultaneous Mario. I don't think the game was... I know the game wasn't designed for it because it didn't exist, or maybe it's just my old man brain, but... God, it's frustrating to play with two people simultaneously. But we've been to things like I'd go over to my family's house and see my siblings and there's a switch over there. And it's like me, my son and my siblings together playing it. And it's just absolute chaos. And it's just nobody is enjoying the experience with the four players simultaneous. I don't know if you have a different (laughs) view of it. No, no, no. I played uh, through a bit of um, new Super Mario Brothers when it came out Mm -hmm. uh, on the Wii, the original one. Yeah, and, yeah, and I remember thinking this is exactly like the other kind of four way, you know, like <laughs> there's, there's a lot of activity and it looks like it should be fun, but there's just four disappointed people. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. I can't stand it. Uh, maybe it's somebody else's jam, and maybe it's just like the other four way. Maybe that's you know we Some don't want to yuck anybody's feeling pain. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Let's talk the plot of Super Mario Land. This is one of those games where Bowser, Great Demon King Koopa, is not the bad guy. Aside from Donkey Kong, which would, I guess, you know, fall into the Mario Bros 
line, right? It's not a Super Mario Bros. line. Wart would be the only other adversary that I know of that was in a mainline console Mario game where, you know, King Koopa wasn't the bad guy. So that was kind of cool. Nowadays, people would go, oh my god, Koopa isn't in the game. Nobody cared back then. No, nobody gave a shit. (laughs) It's like Tatanka here. uh, Nobody would have given a fuck about what her. It could have been Hitler in that spaceship. Nobody would have (laughs) cared. You also have to remember what year this came out. There was no establishment of what a Super Mario game was. Like you had, you had Super Mario Bros. Right for us in North America and I, I, for Europe too. I imagine you had Super Mario Bros. Great, I'm enjoying this. I'm fine. Turtles and Goombas. You had Super Mario Brothers two. I'm talking the U.S. version, the Doki Doki Panic reskin, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm throwing turnips and I'm hitting shy guys and I fight a giant frog at the end. Cool. And now I'm playing uh, Super Mario Land and I'm going up against uh, evil space alien Tatanga and I'm flying a biplane and I'm in a uh, submarine. Cool. There was no expectation for, you know, like having, oh, this game doesn't have Goombas. This game doesn't have Goombas. What's going on? What were they thinking? (laughs) Yeah, but this is it. To get back to the what they, were they thinking, guys, yeah. all right? Like, you you could go... If you learned your 90s history from mid-2000s uh, 20-something men wearing shirts and ties shouting at camcorders, Yeah, um, you would be like... You would assume that when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2 came out, everybody threw their popcorn in the air and was like, Oh, I'm so angry that Bebop and Rocksteady aren't in this. Oh, yeah. That's not how it happened. No. We watched the movie and went, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> when Tolkien Razar turned up, you know? Yeah, and sure. uh, this is the same thing here. It's like nobody was upset. Everybody was fine with it. Like, and what a Mario enemy was wasn't established. They could do it with a little bit of that sometimes. I, I liked when Mario was like 30s Mickey Mouse, where 30s Mickey Mouse would show up in different scenarios, be mischievous, kind of a creep in some of those early cartoons, not kind of, definitely a creep in some of those early cartoons, but was a character who got into things and adventure happened, right? Then Mickey Mouse became a corporate mascot and sanitized and safe and there's no edges, everything's polished off and just became the face of a company. Kind of happened to Mario. You know, Jumpman was going to rescue his girlfriend from a giant ape, and then in the sequel, to get revenge, he captures the ape, and the kid has to to rescue them. And he's attacking the kid with, you know, sentient bear traps. You know, that's not (laughs) not super cool, right? And then Mario was now transported to a magical mushroom kingdom and has to rescue a princess. And then the next one, he's transported to a different world where he's picking up vegetables and throwing them at bad guys. So, yeah, I want to see Mario in a biplane. I want to see him in a submarine. And... Again, as we'll probably discuss more in the next episode, I feel like Wario took the reins of that, where Wario was this kind of gross copy of Mario, but could be the fun character who would do the squash and the stretch and the fart and the booger and the get into trouble and be mischievous without hurting the face of the company, which was Mario, who became, you know, the corporate mascot where all the edges were polished off. You know, we weren't Mm. too far removed from 
radar scope and the adventures of Mr. You with Sky Kid. You know, they were still trying to figure out who this character was. The future was uh, was an untreaded path. Yeah. And I, I believe, if my research is correct, um, Super Mario Land is somewhat of a sequel to Super Mario Bros. proper, where directly after the events of that game, Mario is traveling to a new uh, kingdom, uh, or, or rather a new land called Sarasa Land, that has four kingdoms uh, at the request of Princess Daisy because they are being attacked by this evil space alien. Uh, the evil space alien, Tatanga, kidnaps Princess Daisy and is trying to marry her for reasons, I guess. There's, there's always that that underpinning of, you know, these blue blood royalty things where it's like the bad guy has to conquer the kingdom and marry into the, the monarchy, right? I guess you could probably speak better than I could about the weird history in real life with all of that. Well, it's to steal a line from uh, It's Always Sunny. They probably just wanted to marry her because of the implication. <laughs> just, just to stick it to them? Like no, uh, I'm just like she'll she'll have to give it up if we're married. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works, right? The tag is thinking with his uh, with his tendril instead of thinking with his brain, maybe. That's generally how conquerors do it. Yeah, this is know? true. This is true. So yeah, Mario finds out about these events and being hot off the heels of his uh, latest Princess Peach friend zoning, which we <laughs> discussed on the great, great mission to rescue Princess Peach, uh, he decides to see what other fish are in the sea in Sarasa Land and makes his way over there. Did I miss anything? I think that pretty much sums it up. And really, that's all you need is a, just two sentences for a Mario game, especially back then. Yeah, and you fight like um, his the bosses are like. Uh sphinxes and stuff yes. stage bosses and when you get, it's like nintendo version where um you know you get there and it's like instead of toad telling you it's the princess in the castle it's yeah. princess daisy but then she turns into a fly <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that was so yeah. so i i found out recently that with super mario bros on the nes that was a mistake that they kept in. So when they were testing the game, when they came up to the parts where you were fighting uh, Great King, Great Demon King Koopa, um, they didn't expect the result of when you hit him with a fireball and he dies, he would turn into the Koopa shell, the regular turtle shell. But they liked that because it was early enough in the game where they're like, oh, well, we can put a Goomba and we can put a Lakitu, and we can put these other characters in until you come up to the end where you're fighting him. And if you do defeat the final King Koopa with the Fire Flower, you get to see what he looks like when he's like, most of us just jumped over the dude and hit the axe to, you know, make the bridge go down. He fell into lava. But that was an accident. But because, you know, this is a little bit of a sequel to that game, they took that idea but flipped it where it wasn't the retainer toad telling you but yeah daisy and it was a trick and you'd see the fly <laughs> flopping away yeah it was a cool little gimmick uh that harkened back to the earlier game i i enjoyed that as well the game itself as we uh expressed earlier in the episode was close enough to a super mario game uh is it chunky yeah is it crunchy yeah is the are the physics different uh, does Mario feel a little bit heavier, in my opinion? Absolutely. But I never played a Game Boy game before. So I wasn't judging it against anything else. Uh, that that little sprite looked enough like Mario to me 
that I was able to figure it out uh, because it was a game developed by Nintendo and they gave you the hints along the way as to what you were supposed to do in each level. Like, this is a competent developer. So you had enough play to figure out that the controls might feel a little bit different. But what you'd expect from a Mario game was still happening. There was question mark blocks with power-ups inside, there was enemies that you stomped on, there were no vegetables in the ground to pick up, so you didn't have to worry about that, and uh, you, you made your way through it. I, I don't know, I felt that the, the, the gameplay itself, it's just along the same through line as Super Mario Bros. 1 on the NES. What do you mean by that? It's different, but it's not foreign, right? Like, mm-hmm. if, you, if you played Super Mario Bros. 1 and jumped right into this, you pretty much knew everything you were expected to do in this game. They didn't throw a lot of curveballs oh, yeah, at, yeah, at yeah, you until course. maybe later on with the scrolling shooting aspects of the game. And even that, it was a very light scrolling shooter where you're in the vibe like plane. There's some kind of like deeper motivation to all this that you need to you'd be lost without. Right. You know, it's, it's not like jump reading the second Dune book. <laughs> you know, without any context. I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, again, and I, I'm kind of like pushing back on the contemporary criticisms of the game today, but we have games, I mean, I think you've even discussed them on uh, previous Handy Pocket episodes. Games today still will have you play 16 hours, 20 hours of a game and then throw a new mechanic at you that's completely different from what you were just doing, Right. That this game doesn't do that, even with the addition of these two side-scrolling shooting aspects. They're not that difficult, and it's not that big of a jump. You're just you're playing a a smaller, crunched-down, spinach-green version of Super Mario Brothers One. Despite some of the enemies behaving differently, despite you know the fire flower is not a fireball; it's this bouncy ball. You get the swing of it real easy. It's not a, it, it's not in the slightest obtuse. <laughs> I just love the idea that there's people out there going, well, there's a bouncy flower thing. What were they thinking? What were Just this stuff an atrocity. But there are. Like, that's what's... You know, I, I very... Re- because we're, you know, doing research for the shows. I'm hearing... Yeah, but it sucks. No, you know what sucks? Super Mario Sunshine sucks. This game does not suck. <laughs> this game is very competent, particularly with the hardware uh, that it's on. Uh, there's 12 levels in total, two of which are the side-scrolling. I dig it. Uh, and it's a short game, you know, but that's okay because you had to get through the game before the batteries, all four of your AA batteries died in the back of the Game Boy. What do you think about the game's length? It doesn't bother me that this is a short game. I, I think it's it's complete. Well, it might be lost on some people who wouldn't be familiar with it at the time, but like, that was a, it was a really long-held handheld game by the standards of its era. Yeah. You know, like, handheld games up until that point in time was Tiger Electronics and Game & Watch. Like, this was substantial to the nth degree in comparison to all of that. Um, it was a real, real game. And that's all it needed to be. And, you know, it's something you're playing on the bus. Or right. playing in the back of a car whenever the, the streetlights pass by. Yeah. It's, um... Yeah, it's uh, no, it's fine. It's grand. There's nothing wrong with it. Right, we're judging it against playing it on its original hardware as it's intended. You know, you played on an emulator. We got save states. You can pause, walk away for two hours, come back to it. 
That's not the case. The game was the game wasn't built to do that. Look at all right. It's a game. Play the game. Okay. If you don't like it, go back to letting Instagram make you feel more depressed. Okay. <laughs> with your time. Okay. So graphically, I think that, like I touched on, it, it is crunchy. It is small. These are tiny sprites. They were trying to give you as much screen real estate as possible, so they could emulate the uh, look and feel of your television playing Super Mario. Um, with that choice, there are some concessions, and it's particularly with how tiny these sprites are. Um, it was difficult to see it on the original Game Boy screen if you didn't have a lamp directly over you. Uh, but if you did, are you playing in sunlight? I think you did just fine. I do like the weird enemies in the Super Mario Land series. Uh, they fit. For me, I thought it was cool because, again, what are you judging against? You're judging against, you know, shy guys and flurries and goombas and koopas. It was w wiggly and wobbly. Uh, I like the exploding turtles and the hopping Chinese vampire zombies. You got Moai heads just, you know, rushing towards you. And there's robots, too. They're all welcome additions, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Anytime you get the Shangshu uh, jumping vampires is a good time. Sure, sure. <laughs> Tried pronouncing that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I ain't even gonna go near it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's Jiangshu is how it, it's pronounced. I say that because I have a special ability to hear something and replicate it with my face. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, yeah, it's uh, I I love those vampires because um, they just are so weird. Yeah. And I had to look it up. I was like, hey, how do I? It's the only thing in Chinese I know, or well, whatever version of Chinese. Uh, I'm speaking. It's the only Chinese word I know, uh, but I love the hopping vampire. It's such a strange monster because it's so limited. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like just spirit <laughs> when it's jumping. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, the, I watched the whole video. There's a guy on YouTube uh, from China who did a good video explaining Jiangshu and how they work. And I think the um, the origin of it was it's how like monks used to transport dead bodies like across the country. Uh -huh. They would like make them vampires and then get them to hop across the country <laughs> so they could be buried at home or something. Why hop? <laughs> Why are they hopping? Well, again, you don't want them dancing. Like, okay, <laughs> but how about just a, a brisk walk? Why, why are I, they jumping? I, again, they're not mobile enough to do real damage to you, then, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was introduced to it through, there was a Samuel Hung film called, uh, well, in the West it's called uh, Close Encounters of the Spooky Kind, and he has to stay in a, in a haunted house full of uh, these vampires at night, and it's just like him avoiding death for 90 minutes. And getting in fights with these things, but they're fun. I love I love Asian ghosts. They're they're the most fun. It's like the Japanese uh, tradition of like haunted umbrellas and stuff. Oh, yokoi? yokai, 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 yokai. Yes, where where things that are left uh, in disrepair come to life. It could be an umbrella or a rake and stuff like that. We again uh, next episode we'll talk about those a little bit more because those show up. But uh, was that your uh, was that your favorite kingdom in the in uh, Super Mario Land? Was the uh, the, the Asian-inspired kingdom? I think, to be honest, it's probably the Egyptian one. I've uh -huh. been playing that a lot as a kid. When I think of this game, I think of the Egyptian uh, era, you know, uh, land. Yeah. Um, it's the That's the game to me, is the Egyptian world. Yeah. Just because I played so much of it when I was younger, because I couldn't get to the later stages. 
Well, uh, each of the four kingdoms have has their own theme, and uh, the soundtrack was composed by Hip Tanaka, which, of course, uh, if you're familiar with Nintendo games, you know that Hip Tanaka has uh, composed for many of them and has quite the portfolio of work. Uh, this game is no exception. I like this music. Like, I, I like these themes. Uh, I think they all sound great. It's worth, they're worth a listen. Even if you, you know, maybe this, going back to this, it is too much of a dinosaur for you. I think this, there's a lot of good Game Boy music out there, uh, but it came later in the system's life. It's, it's pretty impressive that, I know it's first party, but it's still impressive that he came up with such, uh, good melodies so early into the, uh, the device's life, basically from, you know, its birth. Well, that I, I think uh, I watched a video recently about the development of modern jazz because mm-hmm. a lot of jazz musicians play video game music now, and they said like what's perfect about it is that it was so limited that really a Game Boy game or a Nintendo game or something like that uh, of a certain era, all it really had to rely on was melody. Yeah. So when you're a jazz musician and you want to expand upon that, uh, which is what jazz musicians typically do when they play standards in a live setting mm-hmm. they you know they want to be able to go off in all these different directions so you can do that with a video game song because all you've got is this melody yeah loops yeah and then in between that you can do whatever you like you have a 45 minute drum solo if you'd like yeah yeah why not i listened to a drum solo it wasn't 45 minutes but i listened to a drum solo that was 10 minutes long at a jazz club one time did you like it I did, I did. I'm, I like jazz, though. I mean, I can see that's not for everybody, but uh, this guy was an incredible drummer, incredible drummer, and it was one of these like old style drums with this old, you know, I, I'm gonna say pots and pans, but it wasn't like a regular drum set, you know. It was very impressive. Anyway, uh, yet another diversion on this episode. Uh, hey, look. Uh, so as I said earlier, I reached out to the uh, club members over at One Rad Club uh, to give some of their feelings on the two Mario game, uh, two Mario Land games that we're discussing for Mario Mania Month. Uh, we did. We got a little bit of uh, talk about Super Mario Land One, but it was mainly just comparing it to its sequel. There was one person in particular, our very own Peter Graphic. Uh, who you can find on uh, Gotta Go Cast and uh, Gaming with the Graphics. He had a memory of Super Mario Bros. 1 that I'd like to share before we wrap up with our final thoughts. Uh, Peter writes, I had the first one when the Game Boy came out, but found the second one on the playground. Uh, never mind. I thought he found the first one on the playground. I don't have anyone. <laughs> Everyone's talking about Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. So I guess you got to tune into the next episode. For whatever reason, I thought he was discussing the first one, but he's actually discussing the sequel. Everybody loves the sequel. So why miss out on us discussing the sequel? Go to OneRadClub.com right now if you're not already a member. Sign up for a dollar a month. And uh, you can listen to all sorts of great shows earlier, as well as the show that will be uh, locked behind the paywall for a little bit, which will be our uh, episode next week. Uh, John, what are your final thoughts on Super Mario Land 1? Uh, Well, it was a very important game during a time when, you know, home gaming itself was uh, being defined. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think I was like five or six years old when it came out, so... It was a, a formative experience for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can be objective about it in the way I could be certain other games. Yeah. Um, just because it was special. 
it's a great game. It's a ga- it's a great piece of history that you can reach out and touch. You know. Yeah, I know it looks like a dinosaur when you're comparing it to its successors, but I still believe it's a solid game. It doesn't require much commitment to complete. And when you compare it to the other games that came out on the Game Boy at the same time, like Baseball or Alleyway, no other game can match it with delivering a complete experience that is close to what you were getting on consoles at that time. And, uh, you know, like I already expressed, before you send your email, I we know Tetris was the huge hit on the Game Boy, but it did not come out for another two months. So there was a two-month period where this game was the system seller. And I think it did. I think it moved units because everybody wanted to play Super Mario on the school bus. You know, <laughs> that was that was the dream. That was the dream that we were promised uh, with the future, and we wanted it today. People appreciated Tetris when we were kids, but people didn't love it the way they loved platform games. You know, Tetris was a game that everybody liked, yeah. and... It made it an easier... Tetris allowed the game console itself to be purchased a lot easier by parents because they could play it. Yeah. You know, like they could justify it a little bit easier, I guess. But um, this was the kind of stuff that we wanted more than the, more than Tetris, I think. Absolutely. I went back to this a lot more than Tetris. Like, I'm sure there was kids out there who like pushing blocks and boxes around. And stuff, you know? <laughs> One more sucker punch before we go. Fuck soccer ball. Well, that does it for this episode. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me as well as the members of One Rad Club, without whom these shows just wouldn't happen. If you'd like to show your support for these shows, check out OneRadClub.com. For just a dollar a month, you can get early access to all the great shows on the One Rad Podcast Network. And for a little bit more than a dollar a month, you can unlock all sorts of other exclusive content and physical rewards. Again, be sure to check out OneRadClub.com. Thank you so much for your support. We'll be right back real soon. <laughs>